Well, good morning. First things first, I don't want to infect you. Let's get some hands properly cleaned. Well, welcome. This is our first attempt at going online, and for the next two weeks, we have decided as a church to uh, take precautions, but also to invite you in to the service via the internet. Uh, if we decide in the next three, four weeks that we might uh, do a couple different things, we're going to let you know, but these next two weeks, we're going to have the service from here. So I want you to sit down, bring your family, open your Bibles, be ready to follow along with us. Because we're going to continue our series in Hosea. And uh, I just think it's good for us to keep in mind that all of us are together in this. Imagine you're here in the auditorium. You are with the community of believers. And pray for one another. The way we're going to run this is, first of all, we're going to have a word from one of the deacons on our leadership team to kind of update us where we're at as a church. Then we're going to continue to proceed through... A reading of Hosea, and then we're going to go through the sermon. Also, Pastor Jared is working on uploading some different songs you can follow along with if you want to listen to beforehand or after. But before we start, I'd just like to pray. I'd like to pray for us, our situation. Pray for just lowered panic. Take a deep breath. And let's pray. Father, we love you, and as Psalm 46.10 says, be still and know that I am God. And Father, number one, we love you. We just want to say we are grateful for another day of life. We're grateful for the, for the heart that beats and the air to breathe. We thank you, God, that we can still worship you. We can hear your word. I thank you for this church family, and I thank you, God, even for the leadership that understands that we are going to um, take precautions. We pray for this whole virus, that, God, it would not be as severe as some of the predictions make it to be. I pray for people in our congregation, God, that they would be patient, that they would be willing to share with those in need. God, I pray that um, the elderly in our congregation would um, be comfortable, would, would be protected. Because I know, God, I think of a few members of our church which are really suffering right now. I pray for them. I pray you'd bless them. And God, we also pray for our government. We are to pray for our leaders. And we pray for the president. You'd give him wisdom. We pray for uh, those who are part of the CDC making decisions for us. We pray for test kits, kits that more would be Produced And God, I just pray that this, um, that this curve would be flattened and God, you would be, um, you'd be among us. More than anything, I pray you'd draw families close during this time. This is a unique opportunity for all of us to think more about you, to talk about things that are important, to not necessarily be so preoccupied with sports and entertainment, and just to listen and love one another again. God, thanks for this day. This is the day you've made, and let us rejoice and be glad in it. So to begin, I'm just inviting Brian Howard to come on up, and he is going to share with us.
Good morning, Kent City Baptist Church. My name is Brian Howard. Um, I'm the Vice Chairman of the Deacon Board and the Director of the Safety and Security Team here at Kent City. Um, a few things we're going to go over this morning for the announcements. Uh, I brought notes because I can't remember stuff. Ask my wife. Um, first off, as everybody is very much aware, uh, there is a virus going around that can affect a wide variety of people. And anybody who comes to church here every Sunday, we have every, everything from infants all the way up to elderly individuals that attend our church that are part of our family. Um, it is our responsibility to take precautions that are in the best interest of, of our family. Um, just like we would at home, uh, it's, it's the same thing here. Uh, that being said, uh, we will respect and comply with the order given by Governor Whitmer the other night. Um, and I'm sure everybody's tracking this, but uh, the order was groups of 250 people or more are restricted. And we have a church of, we have anywhere from, I don't know, six to 750 people here any given Sunday. Um, if you do the math, that's a little more than 250, so we will comply with her order. Um, I know there are some that will either, you know, agree with that, disagree with it, and that's fine. It's okay to disagree. Um, respectfully, it's okay to dis disagree. But we have to look at things biblically. Um, we are a Bible-believing church. We are a Bible-preaching, teaching church. Um, and Romans 13 teaches us that we are to be subject to our governing authorities. God is our ultimate authority. We all know that. Um, but the authority, any authority that exists right now has been placed there by God. Um, we will obey what our authority has told us to do. Um, I mean, that's it when it comes to that. So, with this come adjustments to our ministry. Uh, if anybody saw Pastor Chris's uh, video the other day, uh, in a little bit what he was talking about a few seconds ago, is we're going to adjust our, our ministry, our programming, to uh, that way we can still get the truth of the word out to the people. We're still going to preach on Sundays. Um, we're still going to have some small groups, and we'll talk about that here in just a second. Like I said, I have notes. Um, so, for the next two weeks, we will not meet. We will not meet in a normal setting like we would here in the church building. Um, Sunday morning worship will be held online and can be found on the app, the app that Pastor Jared has talked about for many, many weeks that everybody should have at this point. Yeah, I see a thumbs up from Jared back there. You're welcome. So, Sunday morning worship services, if you're seeing it right now, you're on the app. You're, you're watching it. Great job. Get the word out to all your family and friends. Um, let's see, what else we got going on here? Okay, Sunday mornings by 9 a.m., that will be posted. Is that still true? Yep, that is still true. Sunday mornings by 9 a.m., the sermon and any announcements will be posted on the app. Um, home fellowship groups, uh, hit on that a little bit. Home fellowship groups, Bible studies, and other regular classes, they will decide on their own how or if they will still meet, okay? Um, that'll be up to your group leaders. Just contact your small group leader to figure out if you guys are still meeting, where you're meeting, that type of thing. The, uh, the building can be available during this time as necessary. 
Uh, if you need to use the building for your group, for your small group, for your uh, Bible study, whatever you need, um, please contact the church office for access to the building. Uh, there is a letter available online explaining these things further, um, and future services here at the church will be decided by March 26th um, what our way ahead is going to be. Um, again, any questions, please direct your questions to the church office. Um, <laughs> during this time, you're going to have neighbors and friends who, quite frankly, are, are, some of them are scared. Um, as a church body, we've been taught to be a light in our community, and this is the perfect time for us to do so. Um, be that light, be that calming influence in your community. As per Pastor Chris has said on multiple occasions, that we are to be the church. Now is the time for us to put that into action and be the church in your community. Be, be that calming influence, like I was saying. Um, next, now I get to put my deacon hat on for a second. Uh, next, our church is just like any other household. We have financial commitments. Um, and let's see, sorry, I lost my spot. I'll be right back. Uh, here we are. We have financial commitments we must, that we must keep as a church, okay? Um, many of you give your tithes and offerings online, and I encourage you to continue doing so. Just because we're not in church, our church is still here. These lights that are blinding me right now, we have to pay for that electricity still, just, just like you have to pay for your, uh, your electricity at the house. Um, you know, many of you give on Sunday mornings when the offering plate is passed. So what we have is we have, we're going to give you a couple of different options as far as still continuing to, to give. Um, next page. Where's that? Sorry. So you can give, like I said, you can take this time to give online to get yourself onto the app. Um, you can also give by mail. Or you can even stop by the office and, and, and give that way. Um, we just encourage you to just keep in mind that during this time, we have commitments that we need to keep. We have pastoral staff and their families that we love, and we, have, we are committed to, um, to, that we are committed to uh, supporting. Um, so during these, next, during these next couple weeks, uh, we ask that we, all of us, just continue to keep our commitments to them. Uh, if I did the math right, between our pastors and their family, that's 26, 27 people that we are committed, that we have committed for years, for 151 years, to keep our commitments to. And that will not change over the next couple weeks. We will keep our commitments. Um, pastoral staff, their families, we have other staff that, that we support. We have uh, missionaries around the world. I, I've lost track. How many missionaries do we have, Pastor Ken? Sorry, I put you on the spot. 27, 27 missionary families that we support around the world. Um, again, we have made that commitment, and we will keep that commitment. Um, so yeah, like I said, keeping our commitments, pastoral staff, missionary, maintenance, utilities, etc., the basic needs of our church. These are commitments that we as a church family have voted to support and will continue to support. Um, I'm not talking about the, any building project or anything we've spoken about in the last year or so. That's not what I'm talking about here. These are weekly 
bills that we still need to pay. Uh, let's see. We have a very extremely faithful church. Our church family, you are very faithful, and we will continue to do so. I've every, I, I know, I know we will continue to be faithful. <laughs> Let's see. Okay, that's, that's about it. Um, like I said, these are strange times, uh, and as we look forward, we, we look forward to getting back together, together as a family, all of us together, and during that very uh, awkward handshake time, right, Heather Rawson? Because that's your favorite, I know. Uh, and doing that very soon. Let me pray. All right. Let me pray. Father, as we come to you this morning, we know that there are, like I said, there are people who are afraid of what's going on. Um, people who are watching the news and seeing everything that's going on, and they're, they're afraid. Um, I pray that they, that, they, that they realize that they can find peace. They can find peace through you, through your word. Just digging into the word and finding out that there is peace through you. I, I pray that we take this time to do that. I pray for protection for the vulnerable people, vulnerable people in our in our church in our communities i pray that as pastor chris said a little bit ago that we that this thing is not as 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 bad as it's coming out to be i, I pray that that's the case um if not I, I pray that we are um that we are ready to handle that uh on a national level but also at, at the church level at the community level that we are here to that we will be here to to support our community. Uh, and as I said before, I, I pray that we are that calming voice, that we be the body of Christ that the world needs right now. Um, Father, we have people in our church that are going through some, some medical issues, some scary things. Uh, I think of Jack Bartholomew. Uh, he was hospitalized this week. I, I, I pray you, you be with him and his family. Shelly Borma, man, she, that, her family, her and her family have been through so much in the last month or so. Um, with, with, with her and everything she has going on, um, she lost her father recently. Um, I pray for peace with these, with these folks. Um, we continue to pray for Kathy Harrison, Char Winnell, um, and, and, and their families as well. Um, very loved people that are going through some very scary situations right now. Lord, we pray for them. And we pray for Chris, Pastor Chris, as he brings the word of God here in just a few seconds. I pray you give him the words that he needs, the words that you want to be, um, to be spoken this morning. And I pray for the people listening that they, that, that they will open their hearts, open their minds, and hear exactly what you need them to hear this morning. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Thanks, Brian. That was great. Uh, at this time, if you can open up your Bibles, we're going to hear from John Rasmus. He's going to be reading from the NLT. Uh, we're going to look through chapters 8 and 10, but he's going to read chapter 8, 1 through 7 in the NLT, but 
follow along also in the ESV as I preach. But here's John. Sound the alarm. The enemy descends like an eagle on the people of the Lord. For they have broken my covenant and revolted against my law. Now Israel pleads with the Lord, help us, for you are our God. But it is too late. The people of Israel have rejected what is good, and now their enemies will chase after them. The people have appointed kings without my consent and princes without my approval. By making idols for themselves from their silver and gold, they have brought about their own destruction. O Samaria, I have rejected this calf, this idol you have made. My fury burns against you. How long will you be incapable of innocence? This calf you worship, O Israel, was crafted by your own hands. It is not God. Therefore, it must be smashed to bits. They have planted the wind and will harvest the whirlwind. Well, I'm going to begin every 15 minutes. With some water, I was told that doesn't work, so boy, I don't want to hear anything out from you anymore. We're done with that. And Mark, Lindsay, you're sleeping, so we need to wake you up. Have you ever heard of the name of Timothy Treadwell? He is known as the Grizzly Man. He was a troubled man, and after failing to make it in the acting world and needing to escape from his alcoholic past, Timothy went up to Alaska to follow his passion. His passion was the Ursus Arctas Horribilis. In other words, that is Latin for the dreadful brown bear, the grizzly. And so for 13 summers, Timothy went up to Alaska ignoring and even hiding from park rangers to try to befriend these bears. He was determined to get close to the bears. He laughed at the critics. And he even claimed he was building standing relationships with the bears. He really believed. He really believed he was the bears' best friend. Tom Smith, who's a research ecologist, declared that Treadwell was breaking every park rule and in terms of distance from the bears, he was harassing them, and he was harassing wildlife, and he was interfering with natural processes. Tom Smith continued right off the bat. His personal mission was at odds with the Park Service. He had been warned repeatedly. Another expert, Charlie Russell, who studied and raised bears in Russia, said that Treadwell did everything wrong when it came to the protection and behavior around the bears. Over time... The National Park Services in Alaska became irate because Treadwell was in constant violation of improper food storage, conflicts with professional guides and visitors. He used a portable generator in areas that was forbidden. And he was mingling with wildlife. But he had a risky, risky move. In his 13th summer, he decided to set up camp in the late autumn in this area called the Grizzly Maze. The Grizzly Maze is where bears were known to look for additional food at the end of autumn to get more fat before hibernation. 
Well, Treadwell and his girlfriend Amy placed this little teeny flimsy tent next to a salmon stream where bears would frequent for food. He would boast on camera, if there was a God, because he didn't believe in God, but he said, if there was a God, he would be pleased with me. <laughs> but soon, sadly, he learned that grizzlies were called Ursus Arctus Horribilis for a reason. Early Monday, October 6th, there was an air taxi pilot who was scheduled to arrive and pick up Treadwell at his campsite with his girlfriend. But when he arrived, he found the area abandoned, except for one suspicious prowling bear, which led him to get back in his plane and immediately contact the park rangers. Soon, the park rangers arrived, and they found the couple's remains immediately after investigation. They were found torn underneath the collapsed tents and partially buried in a mound of twigs and dirt. They also found a video camera. But this video camera was, had the cap on, but it was still operating, so the sound was clear as crystal. Six-minute tapes, and it contained only voices and cries of a as a brown bear mauled Treadwell to death. The tape begins with Treadwell yelling that he's being attacked. Come out here! I'm being killed out here! He was screaming. Other sounds are heard. Heavy breathing and grunting by the bear. And then Amy hitting the bear on the head again and again with an iron skillet. After a few minutes, the tape eventually fades the moaning of he and his girlfriend were no longer heard. So much for being a friend to bears. One expert on bears said, from a long study in the biological realis of the Ursus Arctus Horribilis, grizzlies, it'd be best for people watching cute videos and seeing them as cuddly bears and nice animals to be very skeptical. Otherwise, and this is the key part, this is going to be the key part through the message. Otherwise, naive sentiment and wishful belief can lead to an anthropomorphism that denies the grizzly bear its essential identity, which is its wildness. Anthropomorphism is to put human characteristics on something that's not human, to make the grizzly like a nice little fuzzy guy that you see on, like Yogi Bear. Hey, boo-boo. In other words... Just because you think you're safe and you imagine these dangerous creatures to be friendly doesn't make them safe and it doesn't make them friendly. So it's fair to say Timothy Treadwell for the 13 years he spent with bears and as he imagined himself to be safe, he was in truth playing a deadly game with a fearsome animal. In the book of Hosea, as we've been recounting for the last six weeks, Israel was playing the same game. They weren't playing it with grizzly bears. They're playing it with God. Hosea 8, 1 through 2 says, Set the trumpet to your lips. One like a vulture is over the house of the Lord because they have transgressed my covenant and rebelled against my law. To me they cry, My God, we, Israel, know you. But Israel has spurned the good 
So what exactly is the game? What is the game they're playing? Simple. It's hypocrisy. They're playing hypocrisy. Acting as if you are God's bosom friend on the best of terms when in fact his mercy and his long suffering is the only thing holding them back from a mauling and a tearing and being left in a mound of twigs and dirt. Hypocrisy is a very dangerous game indeed. This is the same game that always made Jesus furious, honestly. If you read the book of Matthew 23, he goes on a long, long argument with the Pharisees and Sadducees about their hypocrisy. In Matthew 23, 27, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs. That means on the outside, he says, you appear beautiful. Inside, within, are full of dead people's bones. Hypocrisy paints a picture in the mind of the person playing the game that all is well with me and God. However, if you could really see him, he's not your divine BFF. He is, as Isaiah 26 says, he's waiting patiently, but his hand and fist is starting to raise, but you don't see it. It's interesting what the bear expert suggested again. He said, Treadwell's problem was naive sentiment and wishful belief. This is what leads people into, into trouble. This is exactly what's happening to Israel. And I believe the same delusional thinking happens to people in our culture. And sometimes even in the church. We are playing not with a fuzzy bear. We're playing with a holy God. People often imagine their relationship with Jehovah is way better than it actually is. This is not a fun sermon. And so like the person getting too close to bears, some people are far too comfortable in their sin believing God is just fine with them. He's okay with it. As the bear expert said, naive sentiment and wishful belief. I want you to keep reminding yourself of that because I think people live like that. Verse 2 is extremely powerful in the NLT. Now Israel pleads with me, help us. For you are our God. Help us. And then verse 3 drops the mic and it says, but it's too late. Oh, why? Because they've spurned the good. The enemy, as a result, shall pursue him. You need to follow the logic of this verse, verse 2 and 3. Israel naively thinks God is perfectly fine with them. But there's really no reason he should be because they don't live the way he wants them to live. So, in their wishful thinking, God has become a kindly old gent. Sort of senile, a little blind. He's the guy you got to keep shuttered in during this virus because if he catches it, it's going to probably kill him. But sadly, he is a dangerous king. That's the point of this passage. This passage, honestly, was so hard to work on this week. I was telling Jared, this has been an impossibly hard passage to work on. Not only has this been the week of the great coronavirus fallout, 
But this, this subject matter, when you read through 8 through 10, it hits way too close to home. It is, in some sense, not comforting. Because this could be what's happening. As I look at this in my life, I am a, and I will freely admit this, I am a completely pampered suburban America. I have been my whole life. So when I read biographies or I read history, I'm only used to reading about chaos and pain from far away distance. I never imagined that I would have to go through it. Never, ever. So when I read, I consider some of the worst case scenarios about the coronavirus. Coronavirus. And I keep on my everyday news feed and watch the stock market tumble. I want to crawl in a hole and cry, God, what are you doing? Why? I thought you'd always protect me. Protect us. You must. But must he? Really? Is he required to? Are we, you could ask it like this, a uniquely special generation of people that is immune from difficulty and suffering? Does God owe America special protection? Here in the book of Hosea, the nation of Israel had a covenant relationship with God. They were his covenant people. It was unique. It was different than all the nations around them. But it required them to live a certain way. When Moses gave out the Ten Commandments, the very first one said, have no other gods before me. But look what happens here in 8, 4 through 6. They made kings, but not through me. They set up princes, but I knew it not. With their silver and their gold, they made idols for their own destruction. I have spurned your calf, O Samaria. My anger burns against them. And the calf is an idol, a golden idol. How long will they be incapable of innocence? For it is from Israel, a craftsman made it. It is not God, the calf of Samaria. She, well, they, the calf shall be broken to pieces. They said they were following God, but they were serving idols. That's the point. They were playing a very dangerous game. A very dangerous game indeed. And so as a result, God decided to reveal a side to himself, and you can read this 8 through 10, that I don't think Israel is expecting. They may not be Ursus Arctus Horribilis, but God was definitely showing himself, as theologians would say, as numinous, mysterium, tremendum. It's a Latin phrase for mystery, dread, tremendous, and terrifying. As Rudolf Otto defined God as being the one arousing spiritual or religious emotion, he's the one that arouses that. He's mysterious. He's awe-inspiring. C.S. Lewis told this little story about what the numinous is and the problem of pain. Suppose you were told there was a tiger in the next room. You would know that you were in danger and you'd probably feel fear. But if you were told there's a ghost in the next room and you believed it, you would feel indeed fear, but a different kind. It would not be in the knowledge of danger, for no one is primarily afraid of what a ghost may do to him, but the mere fact that it's a ghost. It's a, it's a ghost. It's uncanny. I don't, it's uncanny rather than dangerous. 
And the special kind of fear it excites is called dread. With the uncanny one has reached the fringes of the numinos. Now, suppose that you were told simply there's a mighty spirit in the room and you believed it. Your feelings would then be even less like the mere fear of danger, but the disturbance would be more profound. You'd feel wonder in a certain shrinking. You become smaller, a sense of inadequacy to cope with such a visitant and prostration before. An emotion which might be described as Shakespeare did, under it, my genius is rebuked. In other words, considering that threat, I am like nothing. This feeling may be described as awe, and the object which it excites as the numinous. That's what C.S. Lewis wrote. And so throughout 8 and 10, God reveals the numinous side of him that is meant to bring Israel to its knees. Specifically, verse 7. Because you have in verse 6, a craftsman made a God, and it is not God. That's the calf of Samaria. It's going to be broken to pieces. And then in verse 7, he says this. For they sow the wind. And they shall reap the whirlwind. Paraphrasing it, it would sound something like this. Because Israel acted nonchalantly in their sin before me. No big deal. Sleeping next to a cuddly bear. I will. They are sowing to the wind. Therefore, I will unleash a storm. That's what he's saying. And when you keep reading in the next few chapters, his storm is starting to be slowly released. Verse 8 of chapter 8, Israel says it's swallowed up. Verse 10, the kings and princes will wreathe in pain. Verse 13, he's going to punish them for their sins. 9-7, the days of punishment have come. And 14 is it's terrifying. O oh Lord, Give them miscarrying wombs and dry breasts. That's terrifying. Israel is playing a deadly game and God decided to finally call their bluff. But I wonder, and this is my question, and this is what we have to consider, do we play the same game? Do we play the same game? Some would argue that Hosea is only directed at Israel. This has nothing to do with us. They're in a covenant relationship, so the principles are only applied to them. They can't be translated to the New Testament, specifically the church. And, especially people living in America, we're not a theocracy, even though some people like to say we're a Christian nation. Israel's different because they claim both publicly and nationally that they were God's people. Paul even says this in Romans 2, 23-24. It's talking Israel. You who boast in the law, they boasted that they were people of the law. They dishonored God by breaking the law. For as it is written in Isaiah 52.5, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, Israel. So, as a result here in Hosea, God came down in fury on His disobedient people. So, you could say this is really just between God and Israel. What does this have to do with us? But let me ask you this. Do you think people who live in America, for that matter, people in a church, act as if they have a great relationship with God, 
but as it says in Hosea 8.3, still spurn the good or what's good or what's clearly God's will. If the answer is yes to that, God won't treat us any different than He did with Israel, will He? Paul says in Galatians 6, 7, and 8, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. So you could say, his disgust with hypocrisy still applies and it never dies. You may think you know him, but don't be too sure and don't snuggle up to him if you're stained with sin. He's not a big cuddly bear. In fact, he's like a grizzly because he still bites. I want to talk about hypocrisy's delusion because when you play a game of hypocrisy, there's a delusion about it. It puts you into a different frame of thinking. And it's hard to detect. That's the problem. Just like it took 13 years of escaping the jaws of death before Treadwell eventually got bit, he thought he was safe. Hypocrisy lulls people into a dangerous sleep thinking all is well with me and the numinous. And the only reason why you haven't been bitten is because God is long-suffering. He's patient. But because of His patience, we assume it means He's feeble and weak. Psalm 50.21 in the NLT is scary. Well, in all of them. <laughs> passage is scary but Psalm 50 21 is very clear he's talking to people who claim their gods they 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 speak his words but they don't live it and so the writer of the Psalms writes while you did this I remained silent and you thought I didn't care but I will rebuke you so in other words be careful before the bear awakes so here's the question how can you tell well here's the Psalm 50 21 while you did this, I remain silent. So how can you tell if you are blinded by hypocrisy? Hosea 8, 13-14 is quite telling. Here's some characteristics of their hypocritical natures. As for my sacrificial offerings, they sacrifice meat and eat it, but the Lord does not accept them. In other words, they're offering sinful sacrifices. They think they're doing a religious thing, but they're eating the meat when Leviticus forbids them to eat the meat. Only the priest can. So they are thinking they're doing something holy, but they're sinning the whole time, not caring. And then it says, He will remember their iniquity and punish their sins. And in verse 14, and this is where it really gets heavy, For Israel has forgotten his Maker, and they've built palaces. 10.1 said Israel is a luxurious vine that yields its fruit. The more his fruit increased, the more altars he built. In the NLT, verse chapter 10 says how prosperous Israel is. A luxuriant vine loaded with fruit, but the richer the people get, the more pagan their altars they build. So, in other words, everything God has given them they use for themselves. They build large, magnificent houses and forget about giving back to God and serving those who are less privileged. Hypocrisy at its root is self-service. I act in care 
I act like I care about God and His will, but I really don't. And so through the book of Hosea, God is he's sending a wake-up call. That's the whole point. That's what 9.7 is about. I'm going to punish you. 9.17 says, my God is going to reject you. It's pretty clear, but it's not nice. Because playing with God's a deadly game. With Treadwell and his deadly game playing with the Bears, experts said he was breaking every park rule and he was warned repeatedly. He thought he was someone who had special in with the Grizzlies, but he was deluded. Like Israel, they're warned and warned and they repeatedly shun the holy nature of God and how sin is an offense to him, but they think they have special in. And they figure they don't need to care about his laws and the welfare of others. So they build luxurious houses. I wonder, here's, here's what I wonder. I wonder. Is this coronavirus meant to be a wake-up call? Does God allow difficulties to happen to wake us up to his splendor in awe to his numinous mysterium tremendous. Have you ever considered, honestly, considered how consumed by sports we are? People can't handle it now. They can't handle that. The, some people are grieving like they've lost a loved one because the NCAA tournament's over. Has it not been an idol where we spend a large majority of our extra time and money and it's been swallowed up? Even, let's say the NCAA tournament played on, somebody would win, and immediately after they win, prognosticators would say, who's the favored team next year? Have you seen how big and nice and lush some people's houses are? Some people spend and spend without even noticing the very real needs of others. Maybe this economic downturn is for a purpose, because it's going to hurt a lot of people. It'll become very apparent. Shouldn't we care? That's hard. I don't like this. I don't. I'm just trying to read the Scripture and trying to gain what it says from me. I'm letting this teach me. And it's hard. I want you to stop and consider something. And I think this is the most important part. Because I don't want to just say God is this numinous, sterium tremendous without giving some background. Stop and consider how God has cared for you. What I still cannot get over, I'll be honest with you, what I still can't get over is that this holy and holy terrifying God loves me completely. He is utterly and completely for me. Romans 8.32 needs to be shouted from the mountaintops. He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also graciously give us all things? He wants to bless us. He wants to. We shouldn't fret. But shouldn't we be gracious? And shouldn't we want to serve the one who died for me? Instead of being hypocritical and trying to gain? I was sent a text from a friend that said, what if you thought of this crisis as the Jews consider Sabbath? The most sacred of times. Cease from travel. Cease from buying and selling. Give up. Just for now. And give back to God and others in need. I've got a uh, 
a story I want to end on. And I want to ask this question, are you done playing games? I had a dad who came from a really tough neighborhood in the inner city of Cleveland. It was the, it's around Elyria Avenue and um, Euclid Avenue, I'm sorry. Actually, uh, my dad said it's the same neighborhood where they made the Christmas story. Where that kid had, his dad had a lamp shade for a, a leg for a lampshade. Shoot your eye up, Ryan. You know the story. My dad grew up poor, and because of that, he picked up a lot of ways of the street. Not only was he good at pool, he's good at billiards, he was a card shark. He was a master shuffler, like he would shuffle, like, he, I have to do it like that. He does the double fisted, and it's, he can do it without looking. And he knew a, quite a few betting games, and I know I'm a pastor, I shouldn't talk about it, but he taught me five-card draw poker, and blackjack. And One time as a family, we were playing some poker, and instead of using dollar bills, my mom would bring out this big water jug, you know, that you fill up water, and it was full of pennies. And so we were betting with pennies. One poker game in particular, my sister Gina and I were the last ones with our cards, and there's a big heap of piles of pennies in the middle, and we were going for those pennies. My dad was a dealer, and he asked us if we wanted to stay with our cards or fold. After I looked at my cards, I, my sister sitting next to me, and I snuck a peek at my sister's cards because she was sitting right there, and I wanted to win, so I snuck a peek. My dad saw me. Right when he saw me, he slammed the cards on the table, and in a very firm voice and fire in his eyes, he said, Chris, never do that again. And I played innocent to what? He said, you know what you did. Never, never cheat when you're playing poker. If you were playing with some of the guys I know, they would not put up with that for long, and you'd be out on your ear, if not worse. Chris, playing poker is serious business. But Dad, I said, we're just playing for pennies. We're having a good time. It's just genie. He goes, I don't care. Cheating is cheating, and no one likes a cheater. Chris, just toss in your cards, because you lost. And he was, he was angry. I mean angry. My dear old dad, this happy-go-lucky father, was not happy-go-lucky when it came to cheating. This part of my dad I did not want to cross. I'm just telling you. Especially when he was a lot taller than me and he had a lot bigger muscles than I did. Did you know God is a happy God? He's a loving God. He's a kind God. But when it comes to sin, you're playing a very dangerous game. Sooner or later, if you keep messing with it, playing the hypocrite, God will slam down his cards and he'll call your bluff. He might be doing that to us right now through this virus. I hate to say that, but he might be. So my question for you is, are you done? Are you done playing games? Let's pray. Dear God, I, I thank you that we still can read your scriptures, that we can still learn them and understand them. And we have a time, we have, we have a time, we have time. We, we can look at our hearts. We can evaluate. We can be still. But we can also change. 
Father, I know that when you sit at home, it's, it's a lot more comfortable, a lot more patient, it's not as convicting, but your word is true, and I pray people would read it, take some time and ask the question, am I playing games? Help us, God, even as we look at this virus, not as some curse, but maybe as a chance. Maybe as a chance to start over. Thank you, Lord, for um, this day. This is the day you made. Let us rejoice and let us be glad in it. We love you, God. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Go in peace and have a great week. See you next week.